Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that helps you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Becco and my partner, Hari. Hello. How's everybody? How are you guys? Uh, it's been a long time since we recorded this. And a lot has happened, obviously, the summer. Um, you know, both of our work has been kind of really consuming. So thank, thank you guys for the patience. Uh, thank you all for, you know, continual listenership. It really means a lot to us. Um, in this episode, we're going to be talking about Visa. Uh, I'm sure all of you guys know Visa because it is pretty much ubiquitous across the world. Um, and it's a really interesting company. Um, we're going to focus heavily on the competitive advantage. Why it is such a, such a wildly successful company. Uh, we'll do that in a kind of, um, in a different fashion this time around. Um, it'll be, it'll be interesting to go through this exercise together with you guys. Um, but first, Hari, can you give us a disclaimer? Yeah. <clears throat> this is the Value Investor TV podcast. We are not financial advisors. We are your, you know, we are just trying to educate you and entertain you with regards to value investing. Uh, and enter, explain the concepts that uh, undergird uh, value investing. We don't know your specific financial situation, nor do we know, um, you know, are, are we acting as your financial advisories? So if you need um, those services, please con- consult with one uh, before making any investment decisions. Yeah. So, um, before we jump into the checklist, I just want to make a comment about the checklist. If you guys don't have a checklist, the, the checklist that we put together to analyze companies, please do, do reach out to us at info at valueinvestor.org or tweet us at valueinvestor.tv. Um, and, you know, not only the checklist, if you have any questions about value investing or, uh, you know, any, any kind of questions or concerns that you guys might have, please uh, feel free to send them over. And also, if you want us to break down a company, you know, we're doing Visa today. But this is also actually came from one of our listeners. This was a request that was sent to us. So please, please uh, s- send it out uh, to us. That really helps us with you know, engaging with you guys and also um, just making sure that we're producing content that uh, people, people like. Um, so awesome. So let's go down the checklist. Hari, um, the first off the bat, what does Visa do? Uh, and um, a caveat here is that you should be able to answer this question relatively uh, succinctly. So how would you describe Visa, Hari? Yeah, so Visa is a, um, they are the the underpinnings of the credit card that you, you know, you probably have in your wallet or know somebody with a credit card in their wallet. Uh, and they provide the backend services that allow you to use that card at merchants. Um, and they you know, essentially authorize the transaction um, and make sure that the payment, you know, goes through um, while not taking any risk, you know, as associated with that thing that that's your financial institution. So they, their actual customers are not, um, not the, the end user with, you know, the business or the individual with the credit card. They're actually the financial institution uh, like Chase or Bank of America who issues the credit card. Uh, or the debit card, or you know, um, and and they provide the, the the services that allow that transaction to occur. Yeah. So for people who might not know, Hari, why is that a critical part of this whole infrastructure? You know, why can't banks just transact this? Why can't Chase, uh, you know, do what Visa is doing? 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a it's actually a really good question, right? And I think this will be you know why we're going to spend so much time today talking about the competitive advantage or the moat of Visa is that you know fundamentally you know this so Visa started in 1958 as you know um, they were called Bank Americard. Um, and they weren't called Visa until 1976, and they didn't actually IPO until 11 years ago. So, Visa always has provided the 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 network and the technology that allows for this transaction to occur. Um, they don't actually provide the cards. So, when you swipe your credit card, the the merchant will receive money for that from your financial institution, and then within a certain period of time. 30 days usually, you have to pay back your credit card institution, right? So the credit card issuer actually assumes the risk because they're basically providing you a short-term loan, right? But in order for this transaction to occur, there has to be an agreed upon thing that the merchant has to actually take into account, which is they have to have the card reader. Um, somebody has to issue the card to the, to the, to use, you know, and then, uh, do a credit profile to see if you're actually worthy of that, you know, risk. That's why they pull a credit history and do these these other things. So, mm. when the actual transaction occurs, <clears throat> you're, you know, you swipe your card. It goes to Visa server. Visa says, "Yes, this is uh, Becco. Um, he has an account with us. This is his credentials, um, and it, it it functions essentially like a digital transaction." Um, you know, with Amazon or something like that with PayPal. But the underpinnings of this are 50 years before, you know, 30 years, 40 years before the internet was ever really around, right? And so this transaction process that happened is happened, you know, is far older than, you know, that. So Visa has upgraded their network to the point where now they can handle thousands of these transactions per, per second. Uh, but in order for the and you know and then they've add layered on all of these other services like fraud detection um you know ensuring that uh you know now in the last 3 or 4 years they've included chips on every credit card so that that chip you're not actually sending your credentials you're not sending your bank information across um uh from your from the retailer you're actually sending a token that is unique to that transaction which identifies you with Visa um so that all of that process, you know, has happened over the last 60 years, right? So 61 years that since Visa has been around, they've layered all of these things on top of that. And they have all these relationships with financial institutions, 59,000 of them, with merchants, uh, you know, in the millions, and uh, 54 million businesses and merchants have. And there's 3.3 billion Visa credit cards uh, or debit cards out in the wild, so, you know, if, if I were, uh, trying to make a new, you know, transaction system, I would have to have all of these things in place. My card reader would have to accept Visa and communicate with Visa, right? Um, yeah. My transaction, I would have to have relationships with financial institutions and I'd have to have relationships with merchants, um, or, well, these intermediate groups that provide um, services to merchants, um, and they, these are uh, things like Square or Stripe or other things that, um, and there are far many more than just those two, that provide services that support the merchants and so on. So it's a multi-layered thing. Every swipe is not just between you and the business 
where it occurs, you're actually involving Visa, you're involving the financial institution that's, you know, backing that, uh, that transaction. You may be involving a third party group, um, that is, uh, like Square or Stripe or something that actually supports the merchant and provides them data, um, you know, back to, you know, to support this. So there's a huge network that underpins all of this. Yeah. If I could kind of break down, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, Harry, if I could break down all that, uh, all of the, um, kind of different parties involved in this whole transaction, this whole, whole ecosystem. You first have the financial institutions, uh, and then you have the um, kind of like the the uh, um, like rails, if you will, like pipes, which is Visa. And then the, the terminal of that pipe is where the merchants sits. Yep. So if you could break this down into kind of three buckets, you would have the, the financial institution on one end, Visa in the middle as a transaction layer, and then the terminal, which is on the other end, that's where the merchants would sit. Right. Um, and so Visa calls this the infrastructure that underpins all this Visa net or the Visa network. And so that process, you know, used to be all on paper and all transactions were handled on paper when this started. Now this is all digital. So every transaction, you make that connection, it goes to the internet. Visa has four data centers across the world that process... 65,000 transactions per second, or they have the capacity to handle 65,000 transactions per second. And every transaction that occurs is verified by Visa and, and then passed on to the financial institution who will then provide the cash to the merchant to make, uh, make sure that they get paid. And yeah. now Visa doesn't, you know, doesn't set the rules for how that transaction would occur. But for the most part, I think the merchants will get paid, you know, fairly quickly after the transaction occurs, like within, you know, a certain amount of time. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, so you're you know, saying, Harry, go yeah, ahead. Go yeah, ahead. Yeah. The, um, you know, there's this entire pro, you know, process just to give you the scale of that. Um, there are $17 trillion worth of cash transactions that occur per year. Visa wow. visa that's cash. So just in between individuals, Visa processes $11 trillion in transactions on the, its credit card network or it's, or on VisaNet, uh, every year. So, you know, there are other groups that are involved in, um, you know, this MasterCard, Amex, and so on. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about those, but, you know, just from the scale of that, they are processing $11 trillion worth of payments. Uh, and that's growing, you know, fairly big. And, in the last, you know, in 2016 was the last year that cash was actually the, a larger uh, percent of the transaction volumes than credit cards. Now credit cards makes up the majority of transactions. So, you know, that kind of gives you an idea of what, you know, Visa started out 60 years ago with basically nothing and is now processing, you know, what, a third of the vid- the volume of, you know, transactions. Um for the world right now yeah i mean you start off by saying that you know just to give you guys more context on the scale of this thing i mean it is massive yeah you know you're talking about handling the world's financial transactions you know single-handedly this a third a third of world the third the third of world's uh, financial transaction happens through a single company i mean that is that is a scale of uh 
you know, biblical proportion. This is massive. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, so let's move on to the next question. I think we covered on some of this stuff. Yeah. But the second question is competitive advantage. <laughs> Does the company have a competitive advantage? Describe them in the categories below. We talked about some of this stuff, but let's go down the list just so that we're not, we're not, um, we're not missing anything. Yeah. So first is brand. Is there any competitive moat around brand for Visa? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, uh, Visa is actually a big sponsor of a lot of sporting events like the Olympics and FIFA. Um, and so the, the name Visa carries with it a lot of clout, right? Because you can uh, walk to basically 160 countries in the world and they will accept Visa in some form or fashion, right? So the, the Visa brand actually also, just just to give you an idea, generates about $900 million in licensing revenue just for Visa itself. So it's wow. not... It's not uh, it's a well-known brand. I mean, I think you could probably poll, you know, everybody in the U.S., you know, 99% of them have heard of Visa, I, I think is probably a safe assumption, right? And if they're getting a credit card, you know, uh, if you go to a website um, like NerdWallet where they tell you about credit cards, the vast majority of the credit cards are that are being offered are actually from Visa. So, you know, as far as that brand goes, it's a, it's a well-known amongst individuals it's well known amongst you know retailers um and you know i'll just give you an idea of how many cards visa has is 3.3 billion credit cards that they've issued mastercard is 1.8 billion and uh, for comparison amex is 113 million so just from the scale um you know amex is you know visa is 30 times the size of uh amex in terms of cards that have been issued yeah. Now Amex is a different business, so but yeah. Mastercard is very similar and Visa is almost double the size of Mastercard. Yeah, it's crazy. The second the their second competitor, again, this is kind of going off on a slight tangent just talking about comp- competition, but it's the second the it's second its competitor, its its main competitor is half its size. It yeah. almost kind of reminds me of Nvidia a little bit. Yeah. You got Nvidia and then uh, AMD, and the the sa- the scale and the product comparison is it's it's quite similar to what we what we see here with Visa and Mastercard. Would you yeah. agree with that, Harry? Yeah, I think um, I would I would make the case that Visa has a larger lead ahead of Mastercard. Um, yeah, you know, but yeah, I, I think it's a it's a fair comparison. Um, you know, typically in a you know you'll see this in most businesses there are typically two or three main um you know you end up with a duopoly in almost every industry and in the duopoly there's usually a two-thirds one-third duopoly is kind of what i know i've seen a lot of that's not Mm -hmm. always the case but you know and visa is you know two-thirds mastercard is a third Mm -hmm. and amex kind of is its own little beast because they actually provide the financial aspect of it too which is they they guarantee the card um but you know, so yeah, I, I think as far as going back to our original question, the brand itself, I think is very well known. They try to protect that brand by sponsorships and, um, you know, and when they're sponsoring things, they're sponsoring the premier kind of events like the Olympics, uh, like FIFA, the FIFA mm. World Cup. Uh, yeah. You know, so they're well known. For yeah. Sure. I want to come back to this brand question, um, but I want to pose it here. We don't have to answer this now, but 
the question I want to pose is, if I'm a credit card issuer, financial institution, does brand, is brand a, let's say everything is equal in terms of the size of the network and things like that. If we only look at brand, is it, is it a determining factor in choosing Visa or MasterCard? I want to come back to that question, but I sure. think it's going to be explained with other thing, other things. Yeah. Um, but I just want to pose it out there. Um, okay, let's go to the next question, which is network effects. Um, network effects in play here? So absolutely. I think that's probably the, even above and beyond the brand moat is actually the network effect. So um, the idea behind a network effect is, for those of you who haven't, you know, uh, don't understand that or haven't or aren't familiar with the concept is um, a network effect is people sign up for your network because other people are on your network. And so that, you know, think about eBay, right? eBay won't have sellers unless there are buyers and they won't have buyers unless there are sellers, right? And so in order for the marketplace to occur, you have to have both groups. In this case, Visa has the financial institutions who provide uh, the service, but they have a, their, their network effect is actually triplicate because they have the merchants who accept Visa. They have the financial institutions who provide Visa and then unrelated. Uh, well, actually at an arm's length is the, um, the third group, which is um, the individuals who use the Visa card. Right. And so um, they actually have, you know, three posts that they're, you know, kind of providing, but you know, the, the reason that I get a visa card is that I know I can use that visa if I fly to Japan or I fly to India or I fly to Europe. I can use my visa credit card there, right? That's a big selling point for using that visa credit card. So I don't need to go and go to Europe, convert all my dollars into euros to, mm-hmm. you know, use local currency. I can just use my credit card wherever I can, right? So that simplifies my you know, my thinking around it, that, that has a big impact for a lot of people when they, you know, look at a credit card is how can I use this if I fly internationally? Um, if, if I don't, if my card isn't accepted, a lot of merchants then I now have to use a backup payment method, right? So I have an American express. I, I use it exclusively where I can. And then when I don't, I have visa as my backup, right? And that's, you know, that's telling because Amex, I think, is a better card. You know, it's a better card issuer for me as a, as an individual. Other people may have different requirements. Um, but Amex isn't accepted everywhere. There are some merchants who won't take it because Amex charges the merchants a higher fee. No. So they don't, they don't want to accept that as a, as a payment method. So that, that's kind of how the network effects come into play here is if, and we'll talk about this in the next episode. If, if Becco and I were trying to make a fourth credit card that could compete with, uh, Amex, Visa and MasterCard, how would we do that? You know, and that's, that's the thing is the network effects are so powerful here. I can't just walk in and just start making people accept my credit card. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think this kind of answers the question that I was posing earlier about brand brand of course is a strong strong um you know competitive advantage that visa has but more than that it really is this network effect that really protects their their moat um uh, so i think it's i think it's super interesting network effect is one of those things where if you nail it it's just so powerful yeah it's so powerful visa can screw it up for 
a long time and still make tons of money. Yeah. That's, that's why. And I think we'll, we'll discuss this next episode when we, we're actually going to skip the, uh, um, management discussion because does it really matter how good the management is when you have a business like that? Right. It does to some extent, but you know, just for our, our purposes, because we want to spend more time on, uh, an exercise around the moat. Um, yep. and how, how we would invert the moat. But let's keep going on competitive advantages. Yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, a lot a lot to unpack in the network effect th- of things. Um, and I have a few questions in mind that I want to ask. But let's, let's move down uh, this list. So the next thing is switching costs. Uh, tell us more about switching cost competitive advantage. Ari. Yeah, so it's a, it's, it is there. I would say that you, you have switching costs with... Um, any, you know, any credit card, but they're not the strongest effect, right? Um, Visa here has a, has a huge advantage in that I can go and get a Chase Visa card or I can get a Bank of America uh, Visa card or I can get a, another type of Visa card. Visa still wins regardless of who the merchant is, or I'm sorry, who the financial institution that supplies you with that card, right? Um, and so you'll see, when financial institutions are trying to compete for your uh, business, they're trying to get you a credit card because they make money off of every swipe. And so they'll say, you know, if you spend $3,000 in the first three months, we'll give you a hundred thousand, a hundred thousand reward points, whatever that is. Right. But in this case, Visa is actually the, the underlying institution that actually processes every transaction. So what they want you to do is swipe the card as many times as you can, because that's how they win. Right. So, so there is switching effects here because it's hard for you as a consumer to switch away. Like if you're a financial institution to have Amex and MasterCard and Visa, you typically want to simplify your life and you have, um, one card issue, you know, one card network that you work on, um, which, which has a big impact, right? Cause that's how, uh, Chase, I think is all exclusively Visa. They offer, hundreds of different types of cards, right? That doesn't stop them from using MasterCard, but, um, you know, for the most part, they're a Visa shop. And I think there's, there is some switching effects, but I think the network effects are where, where the real, you know, power lies here. Yeah. I think when we talk about companies like this, that touches so many different aspects of the financial, or there's, there's so many parties involved in this, in this whole um ecosystem of of stuff ecosystem of not stuff but ecosystem of um you know financial transaction you have the financial institutions you have the individuals you have the merchants when we think about switching costs i think it's important to identify switching costs for whom right and it really boils down to switching costs for the customer and then switching costs for a customer in this case is switching costs for the financial institutions like chase and these big banks that offer credit card and for them, to your point, Hari, it makes sense that you stick with a single company to issue your credit cards. If you have to switch around from, for example, Visa to MasterCard, um, they, they will, there will be some pain. I don't know how big of a pain it, it, it might be, but it's, there certainly is some switching costs that associated, that is associated with switching from Visa to, to say, uh, com- to its competitor, MasterCard. Yeah. And I think one thing that is, is a big, you know, Visa understands that you could switch over to MasterCard. <clears throat> in 2018 alone, I think they offered 
almost $5 billion in incentives to their financial institutions for, um, you know, to, to reduce their costs. So these are expenses that the, you know, Visa is incurring to keep people on their network. Mm. So they are paying, you know, and they, you know, let's be clear, Visa makes a, a ton of money. So they're able to offer these services, incentives to actually, you know, keep people within their network. Mm. That's very interesting. Awesome. Um, so let's go down the list. Uh, okay. The fourth one is low cost. Do they have a low cost advantage over its competitor? Um, so I, I think this one is hard to, to measure. Um, mm. You know, they don't have a service, you know, it, the nature of their business provides them a low cost, but it doesn't necessarily apply exclusively to them. MasterCard and Visa or an Amex probably make are very, very profitable because of their, um, you know, because this is a high return on equity business, uh, as we'll, we'll look at when we go through the financials. But I don't think that, you know, they're not like a Walmart or something like that where their scale uh, uh, provides them reducing, reduced prices. It, it does to some extent, um, but I, that's not how I would classify their moat. I think their network effects, their brand are two huge, you know, things that, uh, at that point actually give you some sort of, uh, low cost because there, there's actually no, exp- you know, there's no expense for each swipe of, you know, each transaction. It costs Master, Visa, MasterCard, nothing to do that, right? But that's the nature of the business more so than the actual... Um, yeah. Uh, um, I also think that it has to do with kind of the strategy of the company as well. If you think about, like, for example, Skechers or Walmart, you know, they are specifically targeting the low-cost moat. They want to yeah. nail that low-cost moat. It, it right. comes... It's part of the DNA of the company. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in this case, it might be a byproduct of the network effect. It might be a byproduct of yeah. just scale, the massive scale that they've, that Correct. they have, uh, they're, they're, they're able to build up. So I think it's important distinction, uh, to your point, Hari. Yep. Okay. Next is the intangible assets. Uh, any competitive advantage that we can find there? So. They have an enormous intangible asset, which is the Visa network, but I think that would fall under this network effect too. So, mm. you know, if you're, if you're hearing me struggle to like, you know, Visa basically has every moat, right? On, you know, <laughs> with, you know, with their, their business, right? Yeah. Because they do have an intangible asset, which is their brand, which is their, you know, uh, you know, it, it, it's the, mind share that they occupy in the, the, the brain of, you know, people that, you know, financial institutions as well as individuals, right? Mm. It's kind of a rite of passage when you are able to, you know, get your credit card out of, you know, in college or out of college, you're going to get a visa, right? Because American Express may be harder, you know, they may have a higher credit limit, you know, to get it, you know, the things that come as, uh, associated with that, it's a heavy mind share, but it almost flies under the radar, Right. It's crazy to think about that because if you open your wallet, you know, you probably have a Visa credit card in your, in your wallet, right? It may be a debit card. It may be a credit card, but because you have that, now you have this additional, um, you know, but you're not thinking it's a Visa. You're thinking it's a chase, you know, whatever, right? Um, and so it's a weird, 
it's a weird concept, right? When you th- when you think yeah. about it. But if you, if you're going to go get a credit card, you don't really have a choice here, right? You've got Amex, you've got Mastercard, and you got Visa, and the the institutions that are providing the most you know support are pro- are the ones that are are generally on Visa, right? So you're almost left with no choice. Yeah, it's really interesting because again, I think it goes back to there's so many people who touch this system instant financial institutions the merchants and and for us the consumers uh individual consumers it's interesting because for us as consumers like to your point harry we don't really care if it's a mastercard or visa i mean i'm sure there are people who do care uh, but really overall it's more of a oh am i getting a chase card or am i getting you know a discover card you know and then and then visa is just a second thought really yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it, there's a uh, little nuances that are that are at play here, uh, which which is interesting. But I I will say this: I have never been to a location that accepts credit cards that doesn't accept Visa. Yeah. Right. I mean, every place that you go, they accept Visa and Mastercard. Fewer accept Amex, and you know I I don't know it about, enough about Discover because I don't have a Discover card, but. Um, you know, I think that that kind of highlights, you know, if they're going to take a credit card, they're going to take Visa. Yeah, for sure. And this is also international as well. Like yeah. you like you said, uh, the, the, the scale of Visa is pretty astounding. Yep. Okay, uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, we're going to hammer this question more in the next episode, but let's just get it out of the way. How durable is the competitive advantage? What are the risks to the current competitive advantage? Uh, again, we're going to talk about this in a, in much more detail in the next episode, but, um, let's just, let's just talk about it briefly here. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in short, I think the, the competitive advantage is incredibly strong, right? I, I mean, it, you know, when we talked about companies that we saw, you know, we, we always pick on like, you know, mall retailers, like department stores like Macy's and JCPenney, right? What is their competitive advantage? Well, you know, it was basically the brand, right? Visa has a has a moat that is so powerful because essentially if I go anywhere, restaurant, uh, a retail store, if I want to buy something online, um, if I want to do a, you know, you know, if I want to get, you know, I, I go to a, a fair, like a festival or something, and I just want to buy street, you know, food, Right. Everybody now has some sort of uh, credit card acceptance, right? Because cash is in in the U.S. amongst you know eighty to ninety percent of the population is 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 dying, and it's credit cards, right? I know very few people who walk around with hundreds of dollars of bills in cash because you know they they just take their credit cards because credit credit cards are easy. You don't have to think about how much cash you keep, um, and so. I see credit being a very powerful thing. And I think there's one other aspect of this that we haven't really kind of um, discussed, which is um, regulation around financial transactions is fairly strong, right? Um, in order to be, you know, so one thing that I, I read about PayPal was PayPal was born before 2000, uh, uh, you know, September 11th, right? So September 11th, 2001, um, before that, there was less 
stringent requirements around financial transactions that needed to be monitored for, you know, uh, corruption, uh, you know, uh, fraud, you know, moving money around for nefarious purposes, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Nowadays, there's a lot of regulation around that. So trying to even get into this moat, you know, to be able to process it is very difficult, right? And so I think because Visa underpins so many things, Amazon couldn't exist without Visa. Walmart couldn't exist without Visa. Um, basically, anything that you need to do to, that involves money, nowadays, Visa is part of that discussion. And that means that it's such a powerful aspect of of your life, right? And so I think for it to go away is going to be very difficult. Yeah. The durability of competitive advantage is really, uh, you know, as value investors, that's something that we look for. Um, and this seems like one of this, one of those companies that, that have, um, you know, impenetrable moat, you know, it's, yeah. it's, we, we, we can't throw that word around lightly because competitive advantage, you know, you, you have it at one time point and then, you know, you could really erode away quickly with competition and all, all sorts of other things. But, um, it's, a uh, this company might be fitting to use that word to describe their moat. Yep. Uh, okay. So the next question, um, and again, we'll talk about competitive advantage more in detail in the next episode. Uh, the next question here is what is the company's long-term prospects on runway for growth? All right. You, you mentioned some of this, um, you know, the, the, the rise of visa and the, the issuance of, you know, you, you, you gave us a little bit of statistics on number of credit cards that are issued, the number of transaction that happens on visa platform. Uh, the cash, the amount of money that is being transacted on, on Visa is a third, a third of, uh, the world's, uh, world's transaction. I mean, it's, it's incredible the, the, the scale at which Visa is operating in. Uh, the question is, is there a room for growth? Can, can Visa, you know, there's another, there's that third, there's that third of, uh, you know, uh, cash transactions that are, that are happening across the world can can they can they um can they um is that is that a is that a fa- is it fair to say that that could be you know that is kind of their runway for for growth there yeah i mean i think if you look at your own spending habits and you compare them from 10 years ago to today right if you are you know you may have walked around with more cash I mean, I remember even 10 years ago that if I was going on a trip somewhere, even domestically, I would carry $50, $100 of cash with me. And now I don't even bother, right? I, I don't even try to, to do anything. I have my credit cards. I'm good to go wherever I'm at, right? It used to be I would go, you know, somewhere with my family to a, uh, you know, a summer festival here in Houston and I'd need to, carry cash with me because I, if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to pay for anything. Nowadays, those things are, those, those, you know, that part of it is gone. And I think almost everywhere now, you know, Stripe and Square are offering services where you can, you know, be your own merchant and, you know, uh, swipe cards on your phone, you know, to accept payment and stuff like that. So there's tremendous runway for these transactions that are occurring in cash to go into, you know, credit cards. I think that is, doubly true for emerging uh, nations, you know, places around the world want to see, you know, that expand 
uh, to digital transactions. And we're seeing that in places, big places like India, where there's a, a cash, uh, trying to remove cash from the, the, uh, economy because it's, you know, of corruption and things like that. Um, so yeah, I think there's a huge runway for them to continue to operate. And as the GDP of the world continues to grow, as it normally does, you know, how much of more of that will Visa capture, you know, going forward, I think is, yeah, there, there's plenty of runway for them to keep doing this. And let's not forget, as they control more of the payment and infrastructure that, you know, is underpinning the, the economy, they can also raise prices if they need to, right? Uh, you know, the price that they charge financial institutions and stuff like that, um, you know, which is going back to that low cost moat, you know, low cost mode allows you to raise prices and still people, you know, um, you know, you're still below the price. So I don't know if visa could do that safely or if that would, um, but you know, when, when they have enough scale, raising their prices a little bit may actually work for them. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's, you know, it's like this, it's really interesting. It's kind of like double whammy with the network effect and going really deep into the financial institutions and all these other areas that financial transactions occur and basically collecting tax on on every yeah. transaction that happen right it's it's just you know with the with these um you know this network effect and and having all this pipelines already in place they're basically just sitting there collecting tax on every transaction yeah. that happens yeah, it, it, it's almost like a toll booth, right? <clears throat> yeah. That's another type of moat that we we haven't really talked about, which is if you want to be a merchant, you basically have to accept credit card nowadays. Yeah. And if you're going to take a credit card, you're probably going to have to you're going to have to accept Visa, right? It's part of the you know part of the uh, the cost of doing business. So yeah. So they kind of do have a a moat there, you know, that you would call a toll booth, which essentially is they're going to collect a piece of every transaction that occurs. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, does the company require a lot of capital reinvestment to maintain its business? Can it grow without any further reinvestment? Are you? So they do have to protect their, you know, maintain their infrastructure and things like that. So of the 26 billion or so in, that they had in revenue, their reinvestment was only, you know, CapEx was only 700 million. Plus about five billion in incentives that they paid for merchants. So yes, they do have to reinvestment, reinvest. But it there's plenty of uh, runway for for I mean, plenty of margin for them to 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 be able to spend and and continue to grow. Yeah. Awesome. Um, let's move on. Does the business have favorable relationships with the following uh, customers, suppliers, employees, regulators, community? So I, I didn't see any red flags and, you know, in the interest of time, I don't want to break it down for each one of those. I didn't see any problems. The only thing I would say, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, relates to the moat for, uh, for Visa is could the government come in and regulate them because they control such a huge part of the transaction, uh, mm. you know, that, that occurs right now. I don't see any of that, but that could occur internationally. Um, you know that 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 does happen. So, um, and we that is actually occurring already in China and India. So that uh, 
China and India have regulated some of Visa to let their own um, their own union pay, for example. Yeah, union, yeah, union pay is is in China. Um, you know, to let those flourish, they've kind of um, had to uh, force uh, you know control the growth of Visa in those places. So, uh, but yeah, for the most part, I think there is there is opportunities there. Uh, you know, th- there is a there is a chance that they could be regulated that could affect their business uh, adversely. But that's the only thing that I'd really say about that. Yeah, great. Okay, um, I think it's uh, I think we've gotten t- to a good point in our checklist. So let's pause here and uh, and then start a new episode um, where we will talk in more detail about its financials. And then valuation, and most importantly, we'll talk about in, in much more detail uh, the competitive advantage that we we talked about uh, in this episode. Um, awesome, guys! Anything to add, Hari, before we close out? No, I. Uh, I mean, I think this was a reader suggestion or listener suggested uh, topic. So thank you uh, for for sending it in. And you know, if you want us to talk about any. Uh, um, companies specific companies or specific topics on the podcast you know email us at info at valueinvestor.org awesome all right thank you guys uh, for joining us today uh we'll see you guys in the next episode thank you thanks Thanks.